2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. The world doesn't think that the gospel can change your life, but we know that it can. And that's why we want you to hear these stories, stories of transformation, stories of freedom, people getting free from sin and healed from sin because of Jesus. This is Death to Life. Grief isn't even, isn't, doesn't come anywhere near to, to explaining what that sin has caused me in my life. My faith took off like a rocket. I mean, all that desire to live in sin, it just took the back seat to my newfound desire to live for the Lord. This episode is with my brother, Jake. And Jake, uh, I was put on to Jake by Eddie when I read his book, No Longer I, and I was just reading it and just praising the Lord. I really recommend uh, you read the book yourself. But after reading the book, I needed to know the story. I said, I got to have the story. And so we hooked it up. And uh, this dude is, he's a, a pastor back where I used to live near uh, near Kansas City. But he is, man, he is doing it. He is out here um, preaching the gospel. And so I'm blessed to know him. And I think you're going to be blessed to hear his story. So let's just jump into it. Uh, listen to Jake. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Man, this is real talk. God is loving on me. Colorful and innocent, that's on me. Got me standing in the light and it's on me. It's a new heart. It's a new beat. It's a new thing. It's a new seat. It's a new king. It's a new dream. It's a new heart. It's a new beat. And got me singing like... So, man... Uh, where do you, where does the old Jake story start, man? In your mind, where does that start? I think old Jake starts at me in high school. Uh, prior to, I'd say 13, 14 years old. Well, let me say this, I guess growing up in, in church, kind of around the church, I wasn't one, I, I can't really say I would, grew up in the church, right? Right. I grew up around it. We went sometimes, we didn't go sometimes. We moved a lot, and so we weren't 
tied to one denomination or anything like that. Um, but I was familiar enough with it. And there were a couple people, uh, specifically my grandparents, uh, who, who were really faithful believers. And I'd say looking back had some level of influence, uh, on me, my grandpa, when I was nine or 10 years old, I remember him saying, uh, Jacob, you know, that the most important thing in life is your walk with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And you know, those things just stick with you. And so who's to say what that did in me, but I think it was a measure of grace that was imparted to me as a child. Mm -hmm. And I remember at 11 or 12, uh, before we were getting ready to move again to a new town, praying to the Lord and, um, in ways that looking back on it, were pretty deep for a 12 year old. And, and that's only to say that I think I had a real faith, a very basic faith, not much understanding at all, but just a real faith in God. Mm -hmm. And I prayed almost every night and, uh, I got confirmed in the church. It went through confirmation, uh, which was a something I had to do. And I was told, once you're done with that, you don't have to go to church anymore if you don't want to. And so uh, that was my that was my experience. And and guess what? I didn't. Right. What is confirmation? I'm not, I'm not educated. Oh, you've never heard of confirmation? I'm ignorant, bro. It's like a well, it's it's a really Catholic thing. First of all, um, I don't know if they I think they call it confirmation in the Catholic Church. Um, but it's, for them, it's a really intense, long process of, um, kind of coming to the decision to follow Christ on your own as a, uh, child or young adult or, you know, a person becoming a a person, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so there's a lot of teaching and involved and, and, uh, just a process by which you, you get confirmed to say, okay, you are actively of your own will following Christ, not just because your parents are telling you to, right? That's like when you get confirmed. And then in some other denominations, that's when they'll baptize you, you know, roughly 13, seventh, eighth grade, mm-hmm. they'll baptize you after confirmation. Um, I was baptized as a baby. So that was a uh, non, non-factor for me at the time. But I went through confirmation. It was a, I was in the Methodist church at that point in time. Uh, Honestly, very as a very irrelevant part of my story, <laughs> other than to say that uh, it was just religion, empty religion hmm. was my my main interaction with Christianity besides just a personal prayer life with God. Um, in high school, I would have said that I was an atheist um, or at least an agnostic, but And this was, it's weird because I don't have much memory of this time, but I do remember the season that I was really just, I just didn't really believe in God. And I had, I had a very worldly future ahead of me, you know, dreaming of success and making money and, and probably being a player and Mm -hmm. whatever, getting ready to go to college in just a couple years. And so I'm 14, 15 years old just having these sorts of thoughts. And at the same time, for a period of about six months, I started having anxiety attacks. Hmm. And, you know, that might be too strong of a word for some who really experience like panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's totally overwhelming. When I, I don't know. But I know for me, I had never experienced anything like it. It was almost every day. I would just be sitting in my high school classroom. And you know what, what would spark these panic attacks every single time, every single day was one thought. And it was the thought about eternity. Hmm. 
Yeah. So at 15, 16 years old, I'm thinking about eternity. Just, it would hit me. And I really believe this was the grace of the Lord in my life, causing me to consider how long and vast eternity really is. Hmm. And have you ever had those moments where like, it, like you can think about it, but you don't really connect to the idea. But then the moment you really see it, like you catch a glimpse of what it is. It like, it's like, whoa, you know what I'm talking about? I, I had one yesterday. We were because my son was asking about Jesus coming back. And I thought for a second, Jesus will come back and I will see it with my eyes. And I stopped. I was like, uh, that's too crazy of a thought. That's crazy of a thought. I can't even yes. picture it. I can, but I can't. And I can't even go there to think that my very own eyes will see him coming back. So is that what you're like, where you're like, whoa, like that kind of yeah. thing? You literally, I mean, like if you, it, 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 it puts you down this like rabbit hole, this spiral of just like overwhelmed. I cannot, cannot compute type of feeling, you know, mm -hmm. and that used to be a really bad feeling. Now it's, it's actually worshipful and it, it inspires faith in me. And I love it when I connect with that, that truth and that hope. Uh, but back then what it caused me to do, what it, it caused a deep fear to overcome me hmm. that what's next. And it wasn't, it wasn't a fear of hell. I was not afraid of, of, you know, where I was going. Mm -hmm. It was the thought of time, just endless amounts of time, hmm. never ending, <laughs> whether I exist or whether I don't exist into eternity wasn't even the issue. It was that the issue was that I, either one of those options still was eternity. It was forever. And that is terrifying hmm. if you don't have anything else to ground you um, in beauty <laughs> or hope or whatever. Were you, so, were you an atheist at this point? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I, I would say a hard and fast atheist, but yeah, I would have, I, I thought of myself as that, you know, I didn't, um, yeah, <laughs> that was my go-to opinion was that God was not real at that point in time, which was a very short season of my life. Honestly, I don't even know how it came about. I didn't study. I didn't read. I was just kind of there. Were you kind of angry? No, not at all. I was not an angry person. Never have been real. I mean, my, my atheism was not well thought out at all, at all. Um, and it was very short lived. And so I, I can't even tell you why or how I got there. Um, but nonetheless, so I'm having these panic attacks daily and these just overwhelming moments of where I'm in sitting in the middle of class and I have to like lay my head down on my desk just so that people can't mm -hmm. see what's going on in me. Wow. And at the same time, um, or, or, uh, after I'd been having these for a while, my brother's girlfriend, who is now my sister-in-law, she gave me a book and, uh, it was, you've, I'm sure you've heard of it. It was Lee Strobel's case for Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Just a classic, you know, what's that genre? Apologetics. Um, apologetics. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, just a classic apologetics book. And, and, you know, the only thing it really did for me was, was remind me or show me or prove to me or whatever that the basic facts of the cross and the resurrection are not crazy, mm -hmm. even in the slightest. In fact, you know, he goes to great depths to show the reader how 
how likely and plausible they actually are. Mm-hmm. And, and all the arguments that you and I've heard a hundred times. Mm-hmm. And, but at that point in my life, it, it turned something on in me. And so I have that book in my hand. I'm in my basement bedroom alone with that book in one hand and my Bible in the other. And I'm reading uh, of all the books that the Lord brought me to. This is the first book um, of the Bible that I'm reading was Ecclesiastes. <laughs> vanity, vanity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that's new. what this whole concept of eternity, that's what it was bringing out of me was just like, if, if eternity is real and this life is so fleeting and short and we don't know what comes ne- it, next, et cetera, then what is this life? What's the point of anything? I don't get it. And I would just lose my mind. And so reading Ecclesiastes along with this other book and the Lord just, I remember one night I'm in my bed and boom, I believe he just, I mean, it, I, he just gave me faith. Never once since that day at 16 years old, have I doubted uh, my faith in Jesus Christ. Hmm. Never once. Wow. Um, and so what's interesting is I don't know I think sometimes our interpretation of the past is not very accurate and we'll find out later how accurate it actually is. You know, what, what actually did God do in me and what did he not? And where was I? I I don't really know. Um, What I do know is that there was a genuine change of heart. I mean, a real genuine change of heart. And I also know that there was no leadership in my life whatsoever. I did not get connected to any sort of Christian body. I had no positive influence in my life in that regard, like, Mm -hmm. like Christ centered influence, you know? And although I, I, my prayer life began, you know, and my fellowship with God began to some degree, my faith in Jesus began to some degree. I, um, I went on and into college just became a heathen, (laughs) total heathen all the while. Uh, while drunk or high, having very spiritual conversations with my buddies <laughs> or whoever, whoever I could pin in a corner. I was the guy in college at, at a party of 300 people who would, who would pin one person in the corner for three hours and just like, Lord have mercy, talk, <laughs> talk their head off. My friends would like make bets for how long I was going to be over there type of thing. Um, and so I rarely did anything stupid besides, I mean, besides getting drunk or high or yeah. whatever. But my point is I was just talking to people really and defending the faith often and just, it, it's so ridiculous. Um, and, and I was, I was promiscuous to some degree as well. And, uh, in one, in a way, very dark time in my life, although at that time in my life, I really enjoyed it. Um, but I look back and I don't look back and regret it. And yet if I had the faith I do now, I never would have done those things. You know what I mean? For sure. Who who was this God that you were defending? What was he about? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question. I think he was just truth. He he just is was what he was. Um I mean and he and he loved me and um and I loved him. I so I thought. I, I don't know. Um I think much of my desire to have spiritual conversation and to defend my God and uh, convince people, persuade people was really just a, a pride of being someone who enjoys debate. 
being and being right, being able to persuade and what that that is a very that's dangerous. Yeah, that's a very innate thing within me that I'm sure you could talk to anyone who knows me well and um in in my, in the flesh I can be a very uh strong-willed sure. <laughs> per- person when it comes to debate. And uh, the Lord continues to to work on me in that regard, but I think that was the motive then. It but but partially too the motive was I just very strongly believed it was true. And quite honestly, man, if I believe that a restaurant is really good, I will persuade you to go. Like <laughs> there, just the the simplest things in life. When I get convinced of something, it just becomes it, it brings me great joy to try to convince others of the same thing. I don't. That's just how I've always been. And so I think that was part of it. Um, how did you see yourself in regards to how God was seeing you uh, with all of the stupid stuff you were doing. I have no memory of that. I don't know. So like it was compartmentalized. You're like, God is love. I love him and he loves me. Uh, This, you know, entering into this relationship that should only be with someone I'm in covenant with, but we're just, it's a fling that like God didn't come into that at all to be like, nah, son, this isn't it. If he did, I just didn't hear it. You know, the conviction was not strongly there or if it was, I I don't really remember. Um, What I do remember are just little things where like, and this was still in, in days of, of deep darkness. I mean, where, where I was, I was getting not just drunk, but blackout drunk five nights a week. Wow. And at this season of my life, I remember there being a day where God convicted me of pride. And I was, a, I was the president of my fraternity and I don't know, was just thought of myself very highly <laughs> um, in so many different ways. And, you know, kind of the big man on campus, sort of hot shot mentality, like walking, you know, through campus, just God's gift, waving to people and whatever. And I just remember him convicting me of this. And, um, and so I prayed that, that he would help with that. Just a very genuine prayer. I don't want to be that person, Lord. Very, um, yeah, very genuine. And the next day, I was, I had a buzz cut at that time mm-hmm. with my hair and I just did it myself because it's super easy. You know, you can just do like- Just put it on the one. One. <laughs> yeah, just put it on the one, man, and yeah. just go. And uh, I might've done it too. I don't know how short I got it, but uh, I was doing that and halfway through, I took off the the guard in order to shave my sideburns or something like that. And I forgot to put it oh, back no. on when I started on the rest of my head. <laughs> And so I shaved a big chunk out of my, out of the top of my head, just, just bare, bald. And, uh, and I remember just laughing with the Lord, like, thank you, God, you know, lesson learned. And, uh, and it, it forced me to walk around for weeks looking like a total idiot, um, with this chunk of hair carved out of my head. And so, you know, that's a random story, but that, that was in the midst of great darkness in many ways. And yet, I'm having these sort of things with the Lord where I'm acknowledging him and and I wasn't at that time I wasn't justifying all the other stuff because of that. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking back on it and saying 
I don't really know what was going on in my mind. I can just tell you that those two things were simultaneously happening. What was so dark? Um, you know, just the, I mean, the fact that I didn't remember half of my nights in college up to that point, two years in, um, all the deep geological conversations in the corner, you're not, you're not remembering them. (laughs) Yeah, not in detail. Um, and the fact that, you know, I had begun sleeping with a, a girlfriend that I had had and I, you know, just in many ways, looking back on it now is what I perceive as darkness. Again, then I very much enjoyed it. I don't, some people reflect on seasons of darkness and they know, man, that was real. Like at the time they recognized it was dark. At the time I didn't. It's just, I was living completely and utterly out of the flesh. Yeah. And that's it. Uh, besides those, besides those moments with the Lord, um, and those, you know, lessons from him. Yeah, man. The secret is that you don't know what's happening. You, you don't, if you did, then you, it wouldn't be happening, but you don't. And so you're, yeah. you're just trying your best and trying to figure it out and you learn little things along the way. But, uh, yeah, that's right, man. And so, okay. So when everything changed there, I'm trying to think of the year. I think it was probably 2011 and maybe 2012, somewhere around there. I'd been dating uh, Kayla, who's now my wife. I'd been dating her for just a few months and her dad passed away. And he was, um, he gave his life to Christ, at least we believe so, um, just shortly before he died. But she never grew up in like even hearing the word or the name God ever, Hmm. not once. So she had no interaction with or the church or influence from the church or anything like that. Besides like one good friend that she had for a bit who had a very Christian home and they loved her a lot. But anyway, he died and she, over the course of months, just kind of spiraled uh, emotionally, you know, experienced all sorts of grief and, um, our relationship was an utter mess for, for the first couple of years. But, um, I remember thinking, well, what, I mean, what does death cause people to think about? Well, we should, maybe we should go to church. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah. It causes you to think about God. It causes you to think about eternity. It causes you to think about, Serious you know, things. things greater than just your day-to-day stuff. And so I remember thinking, well, um, I'm a believer. She's not, but let's, uh, <laughs> let's find a church. And so we, we started church shopping and, and over the summer we landed on one and we would show up hungover on Sunday mornings and stand by the same, uh, same old couple each week. And they were so sweet and we felt like crap, but we would go and we would be there and we would listen to the sermons and, um, it did something, you know, Mm -hmm. and about, well, it was January, January 1st of uh 2012 i believe or 2000 no 2013 um they had a small group push and they were doing a book study it was uh well what was the book a good and beautiful god you ever read that one a good and beautiful god i don't think i have no okay well i don't remember who writes it james bryant smith is who writes it um just a really good introductory like we've been thinking all wrong about who God is and what it looks like to be a Christian. So read this book and let's talk about it, you know? Mm -hmm. And 
so we got plugged into a small group and in this small group, uh, once a week we'd meet with, I don't know, six or eight other people, um, in their twenties mm-hmm. and maybe early thirties. I think we were all in our twenties, but there were a couple guys there who were, um, who were older than me. You know, I was, I was 21, I think at the time they were maybe 27, 28, 29. And they were really following Christ. I mean, from my perspective, mm-hmm. relatively speaking, it was like these these guys were just respectable men. And we we really just became friends. They were also very likable, but it was clear that they were, took their faith seriously and they desired to live for the Lord. And I tell you, man, the moment, this was the first moment since I, I would, <laughs> let's say, since I got saved, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, in high school, this is the first moment that I'd ever had any like genuine Christ-centered influence from another person in my life, wow. you know. And my faith took off like a rocket. I mean, all that, all that desire to live in sin, um, it just took the back seat to my newfound desire to live for the Lord and all of that stuff, you know, where we talked about me kind of doing the two things simultaneously sinning, but also having a relationship with God and talking about him that that was just, it was just muddy waters. I just didn't have clarity or understanding, but the moment that I got it and the moment I had an example of someone to, to look at, I think, and follow Mm -hmm. and someone looking into my life. And, uh, I just, it just all became so clear. Mm-hmm. And that clarity led me to really just start getting involved. And, and I, you know, then began the struggle of being in relationship with other, like close friendship with other college students who I'd been partying with, still living with many of them, being in the same fraternity and whatever, but now feeling called to serve the Lord with my life. Mm. And, how, you know, balancing that, not, it's not even a balancing act. It's like, how do you figure that out? I don't know. So that was a new tension to live with, but, uh, or a new difficulty to figure out. What were the main things anyway. that you, uh, decided that you were going to change or did you decide that you were going to change some things or did you just start living differently? I mean, it was drinking, um, smoking, cussing. Uh, we had, I mean, at that point in time we had literally, we were ordering playboys and they were coming to our our residence our house every single week and we were just casually we just had a stack of playboy magazines on our coffee table um and just all the stuff man and it didn't take long for me to recognize i mean i think i i knew what was sin and what wasn't but just my sensitivity to it just got turned on like a light switch mm. um and i don't know everything that made that happen but i can look back and say man it really began when that small when i started being in that small group and i started going fishing with one of those guys uh ryan he became a close friend of mine we'd go fishing every week or multiple times a week together and just have conversations about god and it wasn't me trying to convince him that god is real it was us like actually sharing something that we both believe in Hmm. (laughs) for sure um and our desire to pursue that so I think that's that's really what changed. And then um, within a year, within a year, um, less than a year, really, I started 
I was looking for places to serve. I just really wanted to that I had that initial rush, if you will, mm-hmm. of just I have to serve the Lord. Like, what ministry can I get into? What's my gifting? What's my calling? Blah blah blah. And uh, I ended up becoming a part of a pseudo church plant, a uh, sort of sister church um, towards the, um, I don't know, a, a very poor demographic, um, poverty and addiction, um, things like that. Um, with the church that I had been a part of. Mm-hmm. And so I became a part of that church plant. And then three months later I was preaching. And so literally almost exactly a year after I started the first small group, I preached my first sermon. Um, at that point I had an internship. I'm, um, my degree is in logistics and supply chain management. And so I had an internship at a local logistics company and, uh, I'm doing all this stuff on the side. And so I'm, I'm getting ready to start my career and I'm I'm doing all of this stuff on the side for the church. I'm preaching once a month I think at that point and leading a small group in my fraternity and that was amazingly fruitful that first small group I led in my fraternity and I didn't have any clue what I was doing. What so are really you cool. what are you like, preaching about, bro? Dude, man, that's a whole like if you just didn't know anything about the Bible, but you knew God loved you and you loved him. And now you're a year later and you're preaching. Yeah, man, I got a lot of thoughts on that, but, but you know, we just got a scripture and they just say, preach this scripture. And sometimes, you know, I'd usually have some say in what scripture it was. I wouldn't always have the final say, but, and then other times it'd be more topical, they say. Mm-hmm. Um, where you approach it with a topic and then you can choose any scripture to um, sort of make the point yeah. uh, of the teaching that you want to make. And so you would, they just gave me a, a platform to do that. And but you didn't know the Bible. No. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I mean, I have, I have, I would used to confess on stage every once in a while that I had learned the Bible through preaching. So it wasn't like I learned the Bible and then became a preacher. It was like, they told me you're going to be a preacher. And then I was forced to learn the Bible each time I preached a sermon. Um, so I'm doing the thing. Um, I start my job and work the job and I'm doing ministry on the side. Ministry is really my passion. I feel this constant tension or friction between working a normal job, but really feeling called to ministry eventually, but I also had a conviction about doing it the way that, that everyone has to do it, being a normal working person so that in the future, when the Lord did call me to full-time ministry, I could actually have something to offer everybody else who has a normal job. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Actually have some perspective and say, look, this is possible to walk this way and live this way as God calls us to in the workplace. And so anyway, that lasted for a few years. Um, I left the job I was at, started a new one. And like a week after I started that new job uh, as a salesperson at a TV station, um, I got, got a call from the lead pastor of the larger church. Cause I remember I was preaching at a sort of smaller sister church plant mm-hmm. and the, the lead pastor who I'd, I'd already developed somewhat of a relationship with. And I kind of saw it coming. He asked me if I would be the young adults pastor. Um, but also one of the main teachers and preachers, mm-hmm. uh, in the church at that time. And we had sort of a, a rotation 
going. And I started out preaching once a month there as well. And so about six months after that, I took that job. I believe that was 2015. Um, and I would have been, I'd been 24 years old, I think. Um, I was recently married at that point. I had just started seminary. I forgot that. There's so many little pieces of my story. I honestly, I don't think about my past that often. And so a lot of this is like, yeah, just, I rarely think about my past. Um, and I had, you know, I had, because I was working full time, um, when I started that in the secular workplace, um, and then also had the conviction to work full time, uh, at, at my church, once I got that job, I'd always did seminary online and I would take two classes at a time. And I was on the route. It was going to take me like eight years to finish. Um, but I was fine with that. You get a maximum of 10 years. And I was just, I, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to leave and move there, just punch it out. It was, you know, um, didn't want to take out a bunch of loans and had multiple places helping me. And so that was the route that I was going with seminary. So there's a lot going on, I guess, all at once. And um, I took this job at the church. Um, I guess, like I said, I was recently married, recently started seminary. Um, right after I got married, uh, three months later, Kayla got pregnant. Mercy. Um, and then we had our first kid a year into that. And I don't know. I mean, these are all just events. When I think about what was going on in me spiritually though, at that time was ever since I started that small group that I told you about, where I really came alive Mm -hmm. ever since then. There's never been a time in my life where I wasn't on fire for the Lord. Hmm. And that's been probably nine years now. And even more so when you take a job in ministry and then your job is to be on fire for the Lord. (laughs) Your job is to get people on fire for the Lord. And I know some for some people that um, has negative effects for me it just put the focus on the things of the Lord. Mm-hmm. It put the focus on the kingdom more than anything else uh, with very little excuse for distractions and whatever. And all that, all that caused was just a deeper burning and longing for the kingdom, mm. the, the things of God, for me to see those things and for the church to be raised up and built up and, and in all her splendor, you know, <laughs> and all that she was made to be. And, as well as for me, one of the driving forces of my life was just holiness. I just wanted to live a life of holiness. And so in some ways I was maybe a holiness preacher, mm-hmm. um, not in the way, in the, with the connotation that some people think of that, um, hellfire and damnation and, mm-hmm. you know, very legalistic and whatever, not so much there, but I was constantly, constantly preaching and teaching about, uh, like sanctification. And in, in the Methodist church where I was in, um, and the Methodist seminary or Wesleyan seminary that I was a part of, which is kind of a broader, um, origin of Methodism, but the spiritual disciplines were like everything, Hmm. right? And those being prayer, scripture, uh, fasting, worship, small groups, you know, all, all of those sorts of things that were the the key the golden key to becoming free eventually hey look if we can if we can discipline ourselves right. we will eventually experience freedom and this was this was the message and there are many many problems with that message as you and i both know but for 
probably, you know, six or seven years, that's essentially what I preached. And constantly trying to stir up people, to motivate them to want to do these things in order that God might make them holy. And but also in my own life, and here's where it gets back to kind of where I was at spiritually, was that even though I had all these burning desires and I was I was ministering with these desires, what I did not have was freedom myself. Hmm. I did not have freedom myself. I maybe experienced it at times when I would go to a, a leaders conference and sure. get get all stirred up and come back and the Lord would move in some way and and for a couple months I'd be you know, walking in some deeper measure of freedom than I had been, only for all of that to be uprooted the moment that I woke up not feeling it the next day. When you came back from these conferences, was it kind of like, uh, now you're going to really practice these spiritual disciplines that you've been teaching? So it's like, yeah, wake up in the morning, and this is the first thing on my mind, and I'm going to be disciplined in that way. And then was that kind of the like was that kind of the fire that it gave you I think so I think it was also just I mean you're just going to love the Lord I mean I, I didn't only measure my life by you know my holiness by how much spiritual disciplines I did I was looking at actual holiness I mean how well am I loving my my friends my family my wife God uh am I lashing out in anger at people? Am I um, lusting after women? Am I, you name it, mm-hmm. right? And I was, I, was, I was experiencing many of these temptations constantly and falling into many of them constantly. And so, and I, so I didn't see the spiritual disciplines as a measure of maturity as much as a means to maturity. Hmm. Um, and so I was always measuring you know, I was able to look at my life and say, wow, I just, I, I'm still um, not meeting the standard of holiness and I don't seem to be getting anywhere. And the moment that I, I, it appears that I am getting somewhere, something else will come up and I'll fall back into temptation. I'll fall back into sin mm-hmm. and then start back at ground zero. And it's like, I'm never making any progress ultimately. And so the solution was always, work on the spiritual disciplines. You just need to pray more. You just need to read more scripture. You just need to, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. And at that time, that was the best that I had. And so it's crazy because um, I'm preaching the hope of the gospel, which if you know anything about John Wesley, which I'm not even, I'm not, I don't consider myself a Methodist or really anything. I don't. But his theology, just to tell you what my theology was at the time, it was it was Wesleyan in this regard, and that he his probably biggest contribution to the world of theology was the idea of Christian perfection, hmm. which is that one can actually be perfected in love in this life, hmm. and it's not worth getting into all the details of what that is and what isn't. Um, but the point is that a an incredible le- level, really a perfect level of sanctification, um, meant in a certain way, you know is possible in this life. And I, I held that belief very dearly and the Bible seemed to, to sort of back that up. Mm -hmm. Why would we not believe for this? And so that was my heart. And that's what I would preach from the stage. And I, I, so I never, 
I would always preach the hope of the gospel. But the problem is I couldn't preach it with authority because my I had no authority or experience in my life to really stand on mm. and say, here's what it looks like and here's how it works. And I know this to be true. Really what I would say is I'd preach the hope of the gospel, the, be- the best that I knew. I'd preach the hope of sanctification, the fruit of the spirit. And then I'd say, but you know, guys, I understand how hard this really is. I get it. Trust me. I, I keep falling back into the same sins as well. Let's just keep, just keep our eyes on the Lord and keep trusting him and, and pray harder, read more scripture, get into a small group. We need these things. And eventually through these different means, the Lord will do this work. Um, Isn't it sad that that's the comforting thing? The comforting thing is when the pastor's just like, I get it, I get it, I'm a human too. And so like the whole thing he's preaching, you're just, you're like, man, the Bible says that. And then he's like, but I get it. And you're like, okay. Dude, it, it drove me nuts then and it drives me even more nuts now. I hated the fact that that was people's favorite part of the sermon. I hated that. The only reason that I would go there, it was not to relate with people. It was, it was because I couldn't with integrity not say it. Hmm. Um, that's one thing that, you know, grace that I feel like the Lord has, has, has kind of given me since the beginning is just for the most part to be man of integrity, mm-hmm. like not to, not to put on a, uh, what's the word, like a, uh, surface, like a false pretense, mm-hmm. you know, and whether that's on stage or whatever, I'm typically just in me. And back then that meant I can't preach the hope of the gospel and then and then not say anything else because now they're going to assume that I'm walking in it and that's not true. Hmm. And so I, the only reason I would go there was not to relate to them, but was just so I could continue to be a man of integrity before God, knowing that I had not, you know, lifted myself up and caused other people to think more highly of me than they should. But then after those sermons, they would come to me and, and like you said, they just let that be their favorite part of the sermon. And, and, oh man, it, it would just, it bothered me, hmm. and uh, I don't because because I don't want a pastor who can, or even just brothers and sisters in general, who who desire to relate to me in our sin. Right? I want someone who who can actually, with authority, say that the Lord does this because He's done it in me. I want someone whose life speaks louder than their words, and. And that that gives me strength, and that gives me hope, and and I wanted to be that kind of preacher, and I hated that I couldn't be. And uh, yeah, so I was only the young adults guy for for a very short while, and very shortly afterwards became a small groups guy. And small groups to me were like the thing, you know. And I think a lot of I think a lot of pastors today recognize how deeply important it is that that every Christian is in like tight-knit relationships with other Christians who are doing the same thing. Oh, yeah. Feel me? Oh, for sure. And I, from what I've seen, that's a pretty widespread understanding in church leadership is like, that's the goal is get everybody into those kinds of relationships. And so to be the small groups guy for me was like, that's what I'm passionate about, right? Because I care about people growing in the Lord. That's the only thing I've ever cared about in, <laughs> um, in terms of, of my ministry, if you will is just seeing people grow up in the Lord, including myself. And uh, 
And so I was a small groups guy for some time and, and continued preaching. And I'd preach a little bit more frequently the longer I was there. And um, all the while, biggest thing we haven't even addressed yet is that I've been a porn addict since probably 12, 13 years old mm-hmm. at that point. Um, so again, to show you how little I think of my past, I almost forgot to even say that. But that's a, when I do think of my past and what the Lord has brought me out of, that's probably the 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 most the sin that has caused me the most grief. One hundred percent, bro. Grief isn't even isn't doesn't come anywhere near to to explaining what that sin has caused me in my life. But but that ha, had always felt like the one. You know, I knew there were I knew there were a thousand other sins to deal with and a lot of other things that I cared about overcoming. But that was the one that just seemed like. Oh man, I don't know. That was the one. And so to be somewhat regularly, maybe maybe every other week, maybe once every three months or four months at times, I don't know, but somewhat regularly falling back into that while being a pastor at a church mm-hmm. um, in that sort of role, preaching to probably a thousand people total on a Sunday and just, you know, having that sort of influence and, and again, being a man of integrity and whatever, that just kind of ate me alive. Um, and, but man, I would confess, I would confess and I would repent and I didn't keep this thing a deep, dark secret. I mean, people knew about it and I had accountability software and I had, <laughs> accountability partners and i did everything under the sun for many 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 years you're going for it felt like oh yeah to be free of that sin and uh never could do it until of course there was a point in my life when i did and many other things came with that freedom but yeah man so we're at this point um did, was your honesty about it? I think that's one of your main values is what I'm getting is, is integrity and honesty. So if you are struggling with a thing, you're not going to fake the funk. You're going to be like, Hey, I'm struggling with this thing. Um, do you feel like that helped your ministry? Um, how did it affect your marriage? Um, my wife has always been very, uh, understanding about it. Very forgiving we kind of agreed that I wasn't going to confess to her every time because she knew that I was confessing to other men in my life that she trusted and that I trusted who were going after Christ. Mm -hmm. And so she just kind of agreed with me that it didn't seem healthy for me to tell her every time she knew I was working on it. And so there was only, it'd be every once in a while I would tell Kayla whenever it seemed like for whatever reason, I would just be like, man, I, she just needs to know that I'm still struggling in this way or to this degree. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, and whenever we had those conversations, I don't know, maybe I was once a year or something, twice a year. Uh, it'd just be kind of like an update. Here's how I'm doing yeah. with it. And, and, but she was understanding and forgiving. That was okay. Otherwise though, when it came to talking about it with the men in my life, um, I think what it did for my ministry when I did openly talk about it, and at times even openly from the stage, I implied it or said it, you know, didn't go into great detail about 
the depths of it. But nonetheless, when I did open up about it, what what it did was inspire people to open up about it. Mm-hmm. And it helped people to relate because because I was a quote unquote holiness guy, always preaching and 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 you know, people to strive after God. Um I think I gave off this this impression. Just it's almost impossible not to if you're preaching those things from a stage. People just make assumptions about who you are and how far along you are. And so once they found out that I was still struggling with that too, it gave them a sort of freedom to admit, right, that it was okay that they still struggled with this, even though they didn't want to. It's not like they were trying to justify it. It's just that they were trying to find some comfort in the midst of this thing they couldn't overcome. Mm-hmm. And so I don't blame them for feeling that way. I really don't. Um, Because in a way, they were just where I was at. They also wanted to be free, but they didn't know how. And no one, including myself, knew how to offer them freedom or to to lead them into it. Um, But that's what it did for my ministry, I would say, was continuing to be a man of integrity, the best I knew how anyway, um, did create an atmosphere, I think, whether it was in a small group or in a larger group that I was teaching to or something from the stage, it did create an atmosphere of vulnerability and willingness to confess. Mm. Um, we, had these, we had these groups that, if, if you know anything about the Methodist Church, um, John Wesley and his brother and, and the Klan, they started, uh, they had two kinds of sort of small groups uh, like 300 years ago. Right. Um, when this, when this movement was starting and the one was called a, uh, class meeting, the other was called a band meeting and the band meetings were groups of roughly three to five people. And they would essentially, it was, it was modeled after the scripture in James, which says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That the whole group would be three to five people who are, who are deeply desiring to be sanctified, coming together and confessing every single little deep, dark sin they did that week and praying for one another uh, that they would be healed from those things and then speaking to one another in the name of Jesus Christ, you were forgiven, really being priests to one another. Mm. Beautiful concept in a way. Uh, and so I, I started a number of those groups at Schweitzer. I had had tried to be a part of those groups for a number of years as well, or at least something like that, maybe not exactly that structure. But it's crazy. I mean, confession was not foreign to me. Right. And I think that's something that was is somewhat different about my story than than some others who have struggled with that and been in leadership and whatever. Um, I've always very much practiced confession and believed for a long time that eventually this is going to pay off <laughs> and free me from my sin. And it didn't. How was God dealing with you in this, in your opinion? What did you feel that he, how, how he was dealing with you? That's a good way to put it. What did I feel that how he was dealing? Because I know how he actually was, but, and I think you do now, but what did it feel like back then? Man. Disappointment would be one. Frustration. Yeah. Disappointment and frustration, but unending love. Hmm. So 
for the most part, I never really doubted my salvation. Didn't cause me to do that. Um, for the most part, I never really doubted his love for me, but I did perceive in the context of his love, a sort of disappointment. And when are you going to get your act together, Jake? Hmm. Yeah. So what happened, bro? Where's this <laughs> thing going? Tell me. Okay. It's the fun part. I'm here for the fun part. I'm here for the sad there's part a, and the fun part. I love it all. There's a little bit of a, a buildup. Um, God had been stirring in me because of everything that we've talked about for many years. And as, as a pastor who cared about seeing the church really be the church that he designed. Um, because of that, I was deeply frustrated all the time. And I had been saying for years, I remember to my mentor and to my wife, I'd, I'd tell them sometimes, uh, there has to be something we're missing. Hmm. There, there has to be something we're missing. It just, I read, because for me, I would just read the scriptures, you know? I would just read the, the stories of those early Christians and the promises of God and the promises of Jesus and, and the commands of God, which are themselves Im- implicit promises. Mm-hmm. Why would he command something that's not possible? And so I'd read those things and, and I would just, I knew it had to be possible. I knew it had to be easier than this. I knew, I knew we had to be missing something, right? Mm-hmm. But what? And this frustration would just grow and percolate and i listened to that episode with Braden in it uh crock pot right it's crock pot. crock pot and my guy <laughs> just crock shout, pot out, my shout guy. out to Braden louis love that and so yeah what what that led me to realize was uh the lord has to do it hmm. First and foremost, the Lord has to do it. it. Has to be Him. It can't be us. Um, for me, what that meant initially was signs and wonders. It meant the miraculous. It meant Holy Spirit uh, manifestations of of power. Where Paul says, "I chose to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified," and I did not preach these words with eloquent words of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, but how does he say it? Uh, by the power and demonstration of the spirit or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, simple speech, but demonstration of the spirit and power. Why? He says, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. So there's even a, a real purpose that God had for the demonstration of the spirit and powers because he actually he desires that people's faith rest on his power not in the wisdom of man not on eloquent words so i started to recognize those things and really believe that the holy spirit desires to move today just like he did back then and i still very much believe that but my focus at the time was signs and wonders wonders and outward demonstrations of the spirit mm-hmm. and uh some of that I think just came to me sort of intuitively or, you know, the Lord imparted some of that to me. Mm -hmm. And some of that came through some books that I had been reading at the time. And where the story goes next is one of those books 
um, this woman who wrote it was talking about faith and something so simple. The book was about healing. Mm -hmm. It's about healing. And in the book, she said, after you ask God for something once, after you say please once, never say please again. Start saying thank you. Hmm. Because his scripture, his word says that ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. Mm -hmm. His scripture says that if you ask and you do not doubt, but you believe, you will receive what you ask for. Mm. In, in a number of different books of the Bible and in a number of different ways, God makes this very plain. He even says um, he'll this answer one of the quickly. primary things. He says, I'll answer quickly. Yeah, man. It's like, this is one of the main things Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. I think the main thing is faith. This is just a quick side note and a shout out to my, my, my buddy, Mark, who says this all the time, but he uh, recognized how many times in the gospel Jesus chastises his disciples for not loving him enough. <laughs> how, how many can you think of? I'm, I don't think there's any, right? <laughs> no, there's not. And yet how many times? Oh, you have little faith. Oh, you have little faith. It's not, oh, you have little love. Oh, you have little faith. Bro, when you break down in the book, and by the way, there's a book called No Longer I, written by Jake Hotchkiss. When you break down that love is a fruit of the Spirit, we're going to need to talk about that when that comes up, because okay. I need you to break that down for the listener, that it's a, okay, but that's kind of like what you're saying here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So she's talking about, about faith, and let's just believe that God will give us what we ask for. And if we actually believe that, why would we keep asking him once we've already asked him once? Mm -hmm. let's, let's just thank him that he will. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people can get their, uh, I don't know of any other phrase than get their panties in a bunch yeah. um, about this because, you know, the prosperity gospel and all that. I'm not talking about a million bucks and a jet plane or prosperous life in that regard at all. I'm like, if we can agree about anything, it's that the Lord wants us to be holy. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not making a case for God's will for us to be financially prosperous or even necessarily his will to heal every person of every disease or ailment every time. I don't, I'm not going to go there. I don't have to, because right now I'm talking about holiness. I'm talking about freedom from sin mm -hmm. and every Christian should believe it is the Lord's will mm -hmm. to free us from sin, that we walk after him in holiness. And so if we know that's the Lord's will, then we know we can ask for it in his name. And we know we can believe for it. And so that's what I took from this book. And so here's what's crazy. I remember reading that and I just, it's one of those where like, you got to put the book down. Like you can't just keep reading. And, and because if there's one thing that I know I want to ask for, it's freedom from pornography mm -hmm. or addiction to pornography, you know, whatever. Never want to do that again. And it's crazy, bro, because so I, so I did, I, I said, Lord, would you, would you, Please free me from pornography. And then it hit me that if I were to do what I just read in this book, which is to only say please once, that I would never be able to ask him to do that again. Hmm. It hit me. 
that I had prayed that prayer like a thousand times probably. Maybe more, maybe less. I I don't know. But many, many, many times I had prayed that very prayer. Wept as I prayed that prayer. And this was the first time that I ever, well, really, that was the last time I ever prayed it. The last time I ever prayed it. And, and so I said, God, thank you that you will free me from pornography. <laughs> thank you that you will. What is it? Okay. I can, what is the, where uh, somebody puts a, a question mark in the teleprompter for Ron Burgundy and he's just like, <laughs> I'm Ron thank Burgundy? you that you will free me from <laughs> pornography. Yes. That's how it felt. But it's like, there was just something that just resonated with me so deeply in this way of praying. And I'd never prayed this way before for anything, but it just made sense. Oh, this is what it looks like to believe what God says. I, hmm, interesting, right? So thank you that you will. Well, I started praying that. And because she encouraged you to just continue praying that, continue not just saying the words, it's not just words, it's like actually trying to like, Look at him and give thanks for this thing that you really believe that he's going to do because he said he will, mm-hmm. right? And because you know he wants it. So for a few days, I, I prayed that regularly. And eventually, I think Holy Spirit just started to speak to me and say, Jake, how long are you going to be praying this? <laughs> how long are you going to be saying thank you that you will? When is it going to be thank you that you have? Yeah. When are you going to, at what point will you be satisfied? To believe that you have. Well, right? it's got to be three weeks. <laughs> got to be. Yeah. <laughs> three months. Three years. Yeah. I mean, it's such, a, it's such a lie. You know what I'm talking for about. Sure. It's such a lie. At what point? When you're, when you're looking for the, for the fruit to justify whether or not it's, it's done, man, it's never done. Mercy. It's never done. But the work of Christ is finished. And I'm not even there yet in my understanding back then. You know, I, all I know is that Holy Spirit says, Jake, at some point you're going to have to believe it. Okay. So about three days later, I remember I, I, I threw away my journal. I don't really keep journals. It's too bad. But at, at, I wrote in my journal that day that I'm free. I just believed it. I don't, God, thank you've done it. Some, a light turned on to me. What year is this? This was 20... Uh, 19. 2019, man, big stuff in 2019. Yeah. So this is two and a half years ago now, a little over two and a half years ago. This was May, end of May, beginning of June, 2019. At this point, by the way, um, I knew I was uh, getting ready to start a house church ministry that I was going to be leaving the church that I'd been at for a few years. And um, our lead pastor, who had been my mentor for a long time, he was retiring and so there was a lot of change happening at the church and I really didn't have much to do. There was this lull with the lead pastor gone before the new lead pastor came that summer. Mm-hmm. There was about three months where no one was doing anything <laughs> and, or if they were, I wasn't, yeah. man. I was, I was at my house and what I was doing, it was, I was praying mm-hmm. I was reading. I was, I was learning how to put on faith for the first time in my life, just like I'm describing it right now. But I was not doing the ministry that I was really paid to be doing. Um, we we won't tell anybody. We yeah. Um. So, dude, this is where it gets crazy. At least, at least I think so. Like maybe a week after praying that prayer, mm-hmm. I had a dream. Mm-hmm. 
And so what God was teaching me in that time, and he still, I mean, literally just last week was continued teaching me in this, using this dream. It's been amazing. Two and a half years later, even. Um, but he always reminds me, he was teaching me to keep my eyes on the cross. Um, if my confidence of my freedom comes from the payment that has been made, it comes from the work that, that he has done. If I keep my eyes there and I know and believe his word that says that that has actually happened, then no matter what uh, I, I feel or experience in the flesh, whenever the old me comes and tries to convince me that I'm still in sin, that I'm still being oppressed, that I need to run and try and strive to stay away from sin because sin is crouching at the door and it's going to get you. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. When I'm feeling that, and I'm tempted to go follow that and, and just try to avoid them and do my best not to fall back into it. And I'm weak and wearied and asking for freedom. That's just because I'm not seeing that I have it. That's just because I'm not actually looking at, at the truth, the thing that actually happened. In the fall of 2019, the Love Reality Squad made it back to PVC where we recorded wave two which is uh, the jump off from Tyler and Morgan's story Joyce and Will BB all of that is is free on YouTube at PVC life it's called uh, love reality tour ransom and renewed so if you want to hear the whole week of wave two uh, check out PVC life love reality tour ransom and renewed you'll be blessed My, my whole Christian life up to that point, I'd been praying, God, please free me from pornography or just sin in general. I was not just that. But, and he was looking down at me saying, Jake, what more do you want me to do? Mercy. Please believe me that I have. And, you know, I don't think he was looking down at disappointment no. or whatever, but that's essentially, I was asking him to do something that he'd already done. How You can't do it again. It's done. Let's go. And the only way to bear that fruit that we desire is to actually start walking by faith and not by sight. And so we got to stop looking for the fruit in order for the fruit to actually finally be born. And it's, and it's, it's just true because that is the moment in my life that I, that I started actually bearing the fruit of freedom when I finally stopped looking for fruit. How do- and I started looking at what Christ had done. How much of this did you, I mean, you, how much of this did you understand in, in that time? Oh, none of it. So that's what's interesting is like, it's so interesting because I know I, I prayed this prayer. I wrote this thing in my journal. I walked in a new level of freedom and I had this dream and then I kind of forgot about it for a bit. And like, not entirely, there was just a lot of other things going on in my life. Like I was changing jobs. I was literally my wife and I were both leaving our jobs. We were going to start a house church ministry. Um, and I think, was that the year that my son was being born? It was. That was the year my son was being born that August, um, who's now like two and a half. And so there's just a lot of other things in my life going on. And okay, so here's where the story progresses. Um, somewhere in that time frame, shortly after, I was reading the book of Ephesians. And you ever just like read scripture and you're just like, bro, 
what are you talking about? (laughs) You're reading Paul and you're just, you know, it hits you. You're like, this is so deep. Like, and it hit me that day that nobody speaks like this. Nobody writes like this. Seriously. When I read not just Paul's writings, it's not just Paul because he's intellectual. It's Peter and John too. Nobody writes like this today and nobody speaks like this today. And yet somehow, and I don't believe, I think part of what hit me is that I used to think of them writing these things down as like, almost like their eyes were closed as they were carried along by the spirit. And then they finally, once they were finished, they opened their eyes and just then realized what a thing they had done or God had done, you know, like almost mindlessly being carried along by the spirit. And I actually, I I, I really do not believe that's the way it was. I believe the scriptures are spirit inspired, but in the sense that, that the Holy Spirit gave them revelation and understanding, right? They, they really saw things. They really understood the gospel. The mystery had really been revealed to them. So they, at their free will, could talk about it extremely accurately mm. and beautifully and deeply and, and truthfully. And so that's what hit me was like, Paul wasn't just writing things that he didn't understand. Like the spirit wasn't just writing this in some, you know, jargon, flowery language and whatever, like I used to think it was. Rather, he was really writing like this because he saw it this deeply. This was naturally coming and flowing from his understanding. And it just floored me because I'm like, what have I been preaching? Who am I? Why don't I sound like this? What if you were preaching and you got up in front of your congregation and you said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us from the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He pre- And you spoke to them like it was theirs now. And right. when they, what does it say at the end of Ephesians 1? When you believed in the salvation you were then sealed with the promised holy spirit yeah if you just spoke to these people like they had it right yeah but we don't yeah, I mean, we don't talk like we don't we don't do it because we don't we didn't used to see it as clearly as we see it we had the yeah. blinders on bro that's right that's right and i think this is the first time that i really realized it because i've always been a sort of intellectual, if you will. Um, and I don't say that, I say that with zero pride. It just, that's how people have seen me. That's how I saw me. And I, regarding, in regards to the flesh, I can spar with, you know, the, maybe not the best of them. But, but you're just, a smart you know dude. I mean? I you're just, a smart dude. Sure. Yeah. And, and what God has been teaching me um, over and over and over again. <laughs> over the last two and a half, three years, is I don't know anything. I know nothing. And it, it really began with him teaching me, Jake, you don't even know the gospel. You don't know the gospel. You know how humbling that is when you've been preaching <laughs> for six years and the Lord shows you you don't know the gospel? It's like, what Christian is going to admit they don't know the gospel? A bunch of us. Let alone a preacher. <laughs> a bunch of us now, now know it now. We, we realized a while ago, we are like, oh, we didn't get it. Yeah, that's right. Oh, by the way, just quick side note. Um, 
at this point, I had, I had just taken a break from seminary. I had been in it for four years and I've never gone back. I didn't learn anything there. Um, nothing that brought any fruit into my life at all. Dang. Um, it, I shouldn't say it that I, that is, that, I that understand is, what that, you're saying. I understand yeah, what you're saying. But I shouldn't, I shouldn't say it like that because I don't know that to be true entirely. Only God knows. Um, it and, wasn't and helping you that, with your problem with www.ishouldn'tbehere.com. Yeah, man. And isn't it interesting that the moment that I step away from the, the church that I was a part of and the ministry that I was leading the, the stage, the whole church structure to begin with, I do this house church thing and I step away from seminary, all of that. And I just seek the Lord. The first thing he does is he teaches me his gospel. I mean, I'll just let that be what it is and let that crock pot there with, with y'all for a bit. But that's what happened. So, so back to this, you know, the Lord showed me in Ephesians 1, you don't know the gospel. And so there was many months where I, I just began praying, okay, Lord, I just kind of, I re- every time I read scripture, he started showing me, see, you really don't get what you're reading, do you? Hmm. And for many years, you've, you've convinced yourself that you do get it. Um, and you found ways in your intellect to make it seem like you get it mm-hmm. and to, you know, make sense of these things, if you will. But you don't really have revelation because if you did, you would speak this way. Your words and your understanding, it would mirror theirs perfectly, and it does not. Hmm. And so I started praying, teach me your gospel, teach me your gospel. All the while, I'm still very much seeking um, baptism of the Holy Spirit was something on my heart at the time, which to me was not just... Um, it's it's not just speaking in tongues. I wasn't. Just, I, I'm all, I'm for that. I'm <laughs> not against it at all. Um, wonderful gift. But I was seeking uh, again signs and wonders, power, uh, demonstration of the spirit, not just for me, but in the church. I wanted revival. I wanted awakening. That's what I'm going for. And I'm also starting this new house church ministry. And that's and so anyway, all this is happening. I I step away and. Uh, People would ask me when I started the house church, or as I was getting ready to, they'd say, well, how are you going to do it? How are you going to grow? How are you going to get people to come? How are you going to make money? How are you going to, you know, just all of these questions about how, how, how. And the deep conviction that I had that even caused me to step away in the first place is, it's almost like, how did I describe it? The church, as I saw it, was a... um cruise ship with great big powerful engines that could get us anywhere we needed to go the problem is that the church is meant to be a sailboat and it can only go where the wind blows it and the wind is the holy spirit and we've convinced ourselves because we've gotten to point b that god brought us there when the truth is that we just turned on our engines and quote unquote got there ourselves but it's very, very clear to me that we're not anywhere near where God intends for us to be. And that the, the ministry, as we've understood it and seen it done over and over and over again, has failed. And when are we going to finally realize that something's off? When are we going to finally realize that God's not actually building this thing, man? And, and when are we, we finally going to step back and say, Lord, you've got to do it? And and so that's the conviction that, that's stirring in me for, for many years. 
at that point. And so when people ask me how, I would just say, look, I, I don't know how. That's the problem is that I've, I have thought I knew how in the past. And I very clearly don't. And more of the same thing is never going to get us different results. Um, sure, I could be a, you know, a big-time pastor and get a following and do all. I mean, I really, I was this close. I was this close to, to going down that route mm-hmm. and, and building a church around me. Hmm. Convinced that that was how you build the church because that's how you do it today, right? Sure. That's how people think you do it today. Sure, you do. And, but the, but the Lord in His mercy really, really spared me from that. What an awful way to live, um, and what a what a horribly unfruitful way, um, to live and and let alone lead a ministry. So they would say how, and I'd say, well, I'm going to pray. That's it. And I meant it. And so I stepped away and, and for four to six weeks, almost all I did was pray. I sat in my front room. My wife would attest to it while she was at work. She didn't leave her job until um, three or four weeks after I did. And so those first three or four weeks, I was really alone. And she would leave and I was in the front room praying and she'd come home and I was in the front room praying. And I'd get up early in the mornings and I spend my weekends doing it. And I mean, you know, there's of course other, other activities in there here and there as well. But the point being is that really, I just, I, I had to say, God, I'm not going to move a muscle until you tell me to. I met another guy who was doing a house church here in the same city. He'd been doing it for seven or eight years. He's about my age, but just a, just a spirit filled dude. We're great friends now. And he just was imparting much to me as well. And one of the things he did was uh, introduce me to, guess who? Dan Moeller. You guys talk about Dan Moeller a lot here. Happy Dan. um, Happy Dan. (laughs) Happy Dan, man. And so, you know, honestly, dude, I'll say this just kind of as a a preface because I don't know who will listen to this podcast. And, you know, you can find any, any, you can find people who will talk bad about other preachers and teachers and whatever. And you can find dirt on, on any true teacher of the faith. You can find dirt on them. First page of Google without even trying to just type in their name. You'll find it. Um, but what's crazy, I guess, is that I've only watched probably 15 sermons of Dan's in, since I first saw him in two and a half years. You know, I, I know many people who watched him, you know, grabbed a hold and followed and kind of have seen hundreds and hundreds and they eat that stuff up daily and whatever. I just, that hasn't been me ever really with anyone or anything. It's, it's been more like, but I say this to say that like, I'm not just like a Dan aficionado. What I am is someone who recognized that when I heard, when I heard him speak for the first time, it did something in me. That's it. Mm-hmm. Something happened to me physically actually happening in me the first time I heard him speak and then the second time to the point where I couldn't even finish the sermon. I had to go be with the Lord. And I said afterwards, the second sermon I watched with my wife and we both were like, what happened to us? What, what is that that we just saw? I mean, it's just so different than, and not just different, but in a really good way. And we realized that night, it just, it just clicked. I said, it's, he speaks with authority. That's it. It's just authority. I had never in my whole life, ever, seen someone speak with real, true authority 
on the basic, simple, powerful message of the gospel, um, or how to walk by faith, or anything like that. And that's crazy. That's really crazy that I'd never seen that at that point. When I listen to him, my eyes aren't on him. It's like it con- he it has a way of drawing my eyes to the Lord and just and kind of going back to way before when we were talking about a preacher wanting someone in our life who really speaks with authority, who isn't just relating to us on on the fact that they still struggle in their sin and whatever, but who can actually you can look at as a role model. Like when Paul could say, imitate me as I imitate Christ, like that's, I, th- I think that's a person that I was always looking for to say, like, not just to say it's possible. I knew it was possible, but like the how, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, for sure. Someone to actually impart something to me that, that gave me a greater ability than I had before to do this. And so anyway, so. So you hear that second sermon or. Yeah. So one of those sermons, uh, at the end of December, there was like a two or three minute story that he told about how he's leading worship, praying, big worship gathering, I think music's going, all of this. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, a pornographic thought comes into his mind. And he described how he handled that thought, which was um, he renounced it. He did not own it. He did not even believe that thought was his own. It came from outside of him. It was planted in his mind. This is all very biblical, by the way, as to where thoughts come from. And, and he started worshiping and praising the Lord, thanking him that, thank you, God, that that is not me and that you have made me righteous and holy and, and saved me from that. And then, and it was gone. The thought was gone. I don't remember anything else about the, it was probably, I mean, you know, Dan preaches for like two hours at a time. I don't remember anything else, but that three minute snippet. I don't even know if I finished the sermon. What I do know is that he quoted Romans seven in that. And the one scripture that he referred to was where Paul says, when I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And a door was unlocked like to a whole new world. That's it. Three minutes in one sermon where I was given a scripture to ground it in. And, you know, I had read Romans and really the New Testament. I mean, so many times I um, read Romans seven so many times. Wow. <laughs> Man. And it was always, perplexing for a number of reasons, but I had never read it like that. And so after that, after I was done listening to that sermon, I went straight into my front room into that chair I'd been praying in. And I got into Romans 7 and I started talking to the Lord and he started opening up my eyes just a little bit right then. Um, but I had a new lens to read it through. And it was like, it was one of those times in, in your, your faith where you, <laughs> You're like, can this really be true? Because if so, it changes everything. And you're just, I mean, there's this almost like on the edge of like danger and excitement and like you, you don't want to fully buy in right now. I've got to read this more and whatever. But that was what was going on in me that night. This is crazy. And then all the while, by the way, I've been praying for the baptism of the spirit 
at that point and um for the Lord to move in all these powerful ways. I had no idea what he was getting ready to do. But I do know that just within the next two or three days, it was January 1st of 2020, that morning, very, very early, like probably two or three in the morning, I woke up and I'd had a dream. And in the, in the dream, I was baptized in the Spirit. The Spirit came, uh, whether upon me or from within me, kind of in my gut, and it came out of my mouth and I started speaking in tongues. And, and I woke up um, in the presence of the Lord, just, I mean, just trembling and shaking and just, just my skin was tingling. Um, and I just, I don't know how to describe it other than like, I was <laughs> fearful, you know, but not in a bad way at all. Um, he gave me something then something happened then. Mm-hmm. And man, that, that first six months of 2020, whoo, I was dreaming, bro. Like dreaming like over and over again. It was crazy. Just the way that the Lord was speaking to us and moving. But besides the dreams, what happened that first week in January and then moving on, it was like my eyes got opened right after January 1. Maybe that very day, it was like scripture came alive. And it began with Romans 6 through 8. And I was probably in Romans 6 through 8 for like, I don't know, three weeks, six weeks, something like that. Like just literally every day. Remember, I didn't really have a job. I just like, <laughs> I just started this house church thing. And so, um, I didn't, and I had no plans. I had no real ministry obligations or whatever. It was like, I just recognized the Lord was doing something. He was teaching us something. And he was, he was, wow. He was revealing his gospel to us. And so Romans six through eight became the crux of everything. But then, as you know, once you kind of start understanding some of those things, the rest of scripture begins opening up. Then it was a whole new Testament. And then it was much of the old Testament. And it it continues to just be this constant, like, revealing of more things and connecting of more dots. And man, my wife was getting it too. Like it was just an amazing time in our lives because she had left her job and we had all this time to be with each other and to seek the Lord and lean on him and in so many different ways. And and she was right there along with me learning all these things at the same time as I was. And to be able to share that with one another and, you know, she would get a revelation and then I would get a revelation and we'd share them with each other. It was just incredible. And we'd call up our friends in in different cities or whatever and just be like, guys, you got to like see what we're seeing. You know, we just have to tell you something. Um, Man, it it was incredible. Um, So what was, maybe we can hang out here for a second. Yeah, please. What what was the first thing from Romans 6 through 8 um that was paradigm shifter because I'll just I think for us and I think if you've listened to any number of this podcast, you know that freedom from sin in Romans 6 was the first thing that was just like, "Oh, we're we're free from sin." Um, for you, as you're walking through it, what was the first paradigm shifter? Was it, well, you tell me. Yeah. I think there are three that come to mind in order. One, Romans 7. Romans 7, uh, I don't remember the exact verse, but he says it twice. And this is crazy that Paul, he, he, this verse happens twice. Five and 14, that you're sold under sin and under the, in and in the flesh? No, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> he, he says, when you do what you don't want to do. Oh, that's 15. It's no yeah. longer. 
when I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Believe it or not, the the title of my book, No Longer I, actually first came from that scripture. Um, not Galatians 2.20? Not Galatians 2.20. It, it obviously then fits great for Galatians 2.20 as a more positive, you know, um, rather than negative connotation. Um, but when I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And so the paradigm shift was right after I'd heard that sermon. Oh yeah, and, no longer I. So now it is no, this is verse 17 of Romans 7. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. That is in my flesh. Boom, right there. So the me, when he says there's nothing good that dwells within me, what does he say? That is in my flesh. First thing that happened here was a distinction between me and my flesh. Right? Mm-hmm. When I and and which makes it possible for me to want to obey God, but to not have the power to do so. Pretty sure he says something like that in that Romans 7, doesn't he? Yeah. And what it showed me was that many of the times when I've when I've fallen back into sin, it's not been because I wanted to sin. It is not because I wanted to sin. Paul right there tells us mm-hmm. that you can he he sets the precedence, all right? This is not me blaspheming. This is him saying what's actually going on to someone whose heart desires to obey the Lord, to someone who truly has been has been changed and loves the Lord and wants to obey his commands. He's saying it is possible to want to do that, but to not be able to because sin is still at work in your flesh, not in you, but in your flesh. As Peter says, it's the passions of the flesh that wage war against the soul. That's First Peter 2. The first time uh, I was understanding freedom from sin for about nine months before I even thought about Romans 7. Because when it came to Romans wow. 7, I was like, I don't even know what this means. So I went to my homie and he was like, what does 7.14 say? And I read it, well, I was sold under sin and in the flesh. And he's like, okay, go to Romans 8.9. You are no longer in the flesh if you're in the spirit or you are in the spirit. And I was like, oh, he's like, so that's not about you, dog. I was like, oh, okay. It's so obvious. <laughs> it's so obvious. And dude, it's like, but it's obviously not so obvious. I mean, isn't it just a testament to how those who consider themselves wise and understanding can actually not understand anything? Like, yeah, God has made the gospel. I was just talking with a friend this morning about how God has made the gospel so simple that a child can understand it. And yet it's almost hilarious how utterly impossible it is for anyone to understand it with a natural mind. That is the smartest person that has ever walked the face of this earth could not understand the gospel like a child could if they don't first humble themselves and become like a child. And Jesus thanked the Father for this. He said, he said, thank you, God, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and you have revealed them to little children for such was your good and gracious will. I mean, that to me is like, so, so when God humbles me and t- tells me that I don't know something, I say, thank you, God, because that's just one step closer to his grace coming upon me Mercy, and him actually dude. giving me understanding. Oh, man, I love that. It's Dan <laughs> Moeller, I think, has a, I don't know if he graduated, I'm sure he graduated from high school. And you're four years into the seminary. And my buddy who's got a few seminary degrees working on his doctorate, 
learn the gospel from a guy who has a GED, you know, yeah. and yeah. Uh, that's wild. So that was number one. What was the second? Yeah. The second thing. Yeah, all right, that was number one. Number two was Romans six, uh, like one and two. So, you know, he says sin sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, and then they say, so what? Do we, then do we just keep on sinning? Right? Yeah. He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So here's the revelation that that God gave me at that point in my life. My whole life, I not only thought this, but I taught this, right, whenever I taught this scripture. How could we who died to sin still live in it? I thought Paul meant, like, how could you? How dare yeah. you? After all God has done for you. How could you go on sinning? Come on. Don't, bro. Just can't you see that he died on the cross for you? Won't you just try a little harder? Exactly. So, I saw it as an appeal to the believer to I don't know, motivate their hearts to love and obey God, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. come on. Obey him. Look at what he did for you type of thing. But when Paul says, how could we who died to sin still live in it? He means very, very literally how, as in it's not possible. Because remember, they're making the argument, or many Christians in that day, or Jewish Christians, or even Jews who were influencing, oh, I hit my mic, who were influencing the Christians, mm -hmm. were, were coming in saying, we still need the law. We still have to obey God's commands, and, and it can't all be grace or else people will go on sinning. That's the argument that he's up against. People don't like his gospel. They don't see how it sets them free from sin. Pretty sure we still have the same state of the church today. <laughs> I'll just say that. Uh, 2,000 years later. Because <laughs> whenever people start telling me that my gospel, um, and yeah, I can say my gospel, can I? It's yours. It's mine. Yeah. It's all of ours, right? Whenever people tell me that, well, you're just going to lead people back into sin and whatever, I think I'm in good company. I actually, when people start, when the same arguments come against my gospel as, as came against Paul's gospel, I know I'm onto something, right? And, and that actually, I've experienced that in a number of other points of my understanding in theology too, where people think I'm saying this and I'm not, oh, but sure. they thought the same thing in the early church. Same heresies came up, right? And and those are coming back because the gospel's coming back. And that's a good thing. And so, so anyway, back to my point is that Paul's saying literally how? How can we who die? <laughs> we can't. If you're dead to it, you, you can't live in it anymore, right? And so it's crazy because I used to think to myself, okay, let me think of how to say this because the art articulation matters in this point. I used to say to myself or to God, God, if I'm still living, walking in sin, if I'm still sinning, if I just sinned five minutes ago, <laughs> how could I be dead to sin? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I'm basically, so I'm looking at everything that I see and coming to the obvious conclusion that I'm not yet dead to sin. Right? But if we learn from Paul, Right, and not just Paul in Romans six, but all, just the rest of the New Testament scriptures that speak to the same reality. We learned that we were looking at it the wrong way. Is that 
I need to first look at the fact that I've died to sin. I need to first believe in the fact that I've died to sin, despite the fact that I cannot see it. And then I will not continue living in it. Hmm. Despite the fact that I sinned, you know, 10 minutes ago or a bunch last week, or that I continue doing so and I still have these, these sinful desires waging war against me and my flesh. That's what I see. That's what I feel. But the starting point is none of that matters. You died to sin. Therefore, you cannot continue living in it. But what's crazy is that I could never come to the conclusion or, or to the, you know, I could never fully believe that I died in sin because I was constantly looking for the fruit or the evidence to prove it. Mm. I was constantly waiting for the day that my life finally said you're dead, but it's never going to happen. And so that was, that was the second scripture. Um, and then the third in Romans 6 was, uh, he says, you therefore must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And it just gave me everything I needed to realize that this mindset that I was being told to put on by God, that I was dead to sin, uh, it was a command to put it on. It was a command. I didn't even have, like, to obey him, I had to believe this, that I was dead to sin the best I knew how. And I had to stop thinking that that was something I was eventually going to just have to wait to attain, <laughs> you know? And this all relates back to the dream that I'd had like six, seven months ago and looking at the cross and how can I believe I'm dead to sin? Well, I need to, I need to start seeing myself differently. And then he starts teaching me about oneness with Christ. And Galatians 2.20 was one of the next big verses, right? Like it, Before we go to that one. Yeah. That verse that says, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. I just get so frustrated how people mangle it, bro. Because they can't. How do they manipulate it in your experience? Well, you just have to consider that. It's not actually true. <laughs> I'm like, word? Like, God's no, wanting bro. us to play, like, the power of positive thinking? Like, that's what, like, this is a therapy mind trick it's actually not true he just wants us to consider it true that's crazy but that's like that's literally what people will say like when you bring that up well the new king james uses the word reckon and so they'll talk like that and it's just unbelief bro yeah no it is it's unbelief and Man, I was I was reading a really good book recently. I don't endorse everything this guy says, but there's a book um, by Watchman Nee called uh, "The Normal Christian The Normal Christian Life." Mm -hmm. He talks about that word "reckon" and how in the Greek that's actually like an accounting term, a financial accounting, like mathematical term, like as in two plus two equals four. So consider reckon it as as four because you know that it is. It's that final and obvious. And his whole point behind that and is that you don't you don't obey that scripture by trying to believe so hard that it eventually becomes true. Like, and I've seen a lot of people do this too, and I've done this at times, fallen into this trap, but a lot of people who start to kind of learn about faith the way that we talk about it, and they try to convince themselves, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin. 
but they don't really believe it. And so it's like they're almost fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, is that you actually can't reckon yourself. You can't really consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God until you see that you actually are. Hmm. Does that make sense? It, it really does come down to to sort of a, a revelation that I believe the Lord has to give. It's why Paul prays in, in Ephesians 1 that he would open the eyes of their hearts. Hmm. Right? The eyes of our hearts have to be opened. And if we humble ourselves before him, he will. He absolutely will. But if we remain in a place of pride, he opposes the proud. If we if we continue to believe that we get it and we know it and we, you know, he'll he'll we'll never receive it. Mm-mm. Paul prays in Ephesians 3 that they would know the love that surpasses knowledge. Well, how do you how do you know something that surpasses knowledge? How's that possible? It's like the Lord's got to do something in us, you know? And so, it, I mean, if, if, if there's anything that I would, even in that regard, say about like Romans 6, 11, it's just, just even encourage people with my story to say, seek the Lord for understanding. And, and as he says, Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth, you know? Mm-hmm. And one of the fundamental things that I've believed from, from that book that I read, teaching me how to walk by faith, is that, is that if he says, Holy Spirit will be my teacher, if I ask him to teach me something, I have to believe that he will. I have to believe that he will. So I just thank him that he will. And I don't, I don't worry or fret that I don't see it or get it yet or that I'm supposed to know it or whatever. I have almost come to love not knowing things because it just causes me to look to the Lord and, you know. Um, but I think what the Lord began teaching me through Romans 6 and then 7 and 8 is that wow, I've not been believing that I'm dead to sin. Therefore, I've continued living in it. Mm-hmm. But if I know and see and believe so deeply that I am, um, it's not who I am. Just like that dream that I had, and I keep my eyes on the cross and what God did. Um, I will bear the fruit of what he has done in time, but I'm going to stop looking and waiting for the fruit to believe it. And it's just amazing how then the fruit does eventually start to come. Um can can we talk about uh Galatians 2:20 and then Galatians 5:16 cuz I'm sure oh yeah these were right after this was what you're saying yeah those are big ones Galatians 2:20 um the no longer i message mm-hmm. you know such a good verse he says what i have been crucified with Christ stop there and like what does it mean that Paul has been crucified with Christ? He doesn't say he's been crucified like Christ. That's important. He didn't die a death like Jesus' death. He died Jesus' death. He, he was crucified. It was, it was through Christ's own death that we died. We don't die like him in some weird, symbolic, spiritual sense. We were joined with the one who died. So. Another scripture that's central to the gospel is, is 1 Corinthians 6, I think it's 17. Anyone who's been joined with Christ has become one spirit with him, right? Mm-hmm. And Colossians 3, when Christ, who is your life, appears. You will you'll also, he's your life. And Christ is all and in all. And other scriptures that say very much the same thing. But when 
when we're joined with Christ, it says we're baptized into his death. Not That's not a death like his. That's his very own death. That's so that we can say, I didn't die when I believed. I died 2,000 years ago on the cross. Mm. Because I am not I. <laughs> it is no longer I. Oh, I dropped my phone. Hmm. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what defines me. No longer I, but Christ. And if it's Christ, then, then I can say, I died. I was crucified, literally, literally crucified on a wooden cross 2,000 years ago. Why? Because Christ is my life. I got to stop seeing me as me and start seeing me as Christ in me. And so all of this was what the Lord began teaching me. And with that verse in Galatians 2.20, the huge revelation was that Paul in context of that scripture, he's speaking about the moment, he's speaking about justification, really. He's not speaking about what the Methodists would refer to as sanctification, as the long outward you know, process of perfection. He's speaking about the moment of belief, the gospel, the finished work of Christ that is true of every believer, and he's giving them a mindset to put on today. What I thought when I read that scripture, you know, I'm sure a hundred times before, when Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I always thought he was speaking of some heightened spiritual state of maturity that he had attained through many, many years of, of self-discipline and you know, apostleship and persecution and obedience, whatever. That was, that was, I thought he was telling them what was finally accomplished in him because he was so perfected by all that he'd done and gone through. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And God just made it so clear to me at that time in my life that Paul was not doing that. He was saying what was true of every believer. And he was saying what was true of Paul the moment that he set eyes on Christ and believed in him. And that's powerful because what that means is that I'm not waiting until the day that I can say those words. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right? Scripture tells me I got to put that on now. That's something I get to walk in today. <laughs> that's, not, that's not maturity. That's, that's the beginning of maturity. I mean, that, that's the beginning of faith. That is like, I, don't, I literally, with, what I, with, with the understanding that I have now, I don't even know how you begin to grow or, or have any sort of foundation if you don't first have this. When they talk about laying the foundation of Christ that the church will be put on. I honestly, I believe this is what it is. It's not just faith in the fact of of the thing that all Christians believe, which is that Christ died for their sins 2,000 years ago and God forgives them and whatever. It's Yes, it's that, but that's not the purpose of of the gospel. The purpose is oneness with God. (laughs) Yeah, we think it's an insurance plan, like a life insurance plan that if we live a good life, then we'll be in heaven forever. And when Jesus is like, no, I'm bringing you back to the Father. When, yep. when God brought the children of Israel, he didn't bring them to the promised land. He brought them back to himself. Right. And uh, someone just asked me that tonight. Like, if, if you're a Buddhist are you, and you were really li- live a really great life, are you going to but you don't believe in in Jesus, like, is God so mean that, and I'm like, the whole premise of your question is like, do you do you miss out on heaven because of this thing? Like, the premise right. of your question, like, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody 
goes to heaven but through him? <laughs> Nobody comes to the Father. No, no one comes to the Father. That's right. So then, it, yeah. So when you hit Galatians five sixteen, was that another? I think I, I mean from reading your book, I think you talked about Galatians five sixteen is how you walk this thing out, right? Yeah, bro. And like, oh, dude, <laughs> so good. One of my favorite. <laughs> oh god. It's like he. He says, the desires of the flesh are opposed to the desires of the spirit. The desires of the spirit are opposed to the desires of the flesh. And these are at work against one another to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Now, there's only two ways to interpret that. Let's start with the idea that you have two desires. Which goes back to the idea that when you sin... And then, ap- and, and it felt like you wanted to sin, but then afterwards you wish you wouldn't have. Which one of those was actually you? Well, which one of those desires was you? If you think that it's both you and you got the two wolves in you, that's a pagan idea. Uh, yeah. That, that idea is not rooted in Christianity, that's rooted in paganism. The two wolves, and we have two natures. That's sick, dude. Yeah, it's not. It's not of God. <laughs> no. And yet, isn't that what most people believe? Yeah, because it's, it's how they feel. It's how they feel. Yeah. And, man, the clear biblical witness is that it's the passions or the desires of the flesh or the members or the body or the natural, material, earthly nature that we are in. is used by the enemy to wage war against us, right? And we, at one point, were in darkness. We, at one point, were not only slaves to the flesh, but really friends, I believe, with the flesh and enemies of God. Children of disobedience, Paul calls us. Children of disobedience. That's right. And Christ was not in us. Um, but then when we saw the light, the light came into us because the eye is the lamp of the body and we became light, right? Christ came into us. The, the message of the gospel, like Peter says, man, so good. Um, living an abiding word, which has been implanted in you when you, and he says that word was the gospel message that you received. You've been born again by that living and abiding word. So it's like, we hear the gospel. We see Jesus, it comes into us and we're literally born again just by it, just because he is the truth. It's not truth about him. He is the truth. And we're, oh man, he comes into us just by receiving the truth because he is the truth. And so now in spirit, which is who we truly are, we are righteous and pure and holy and we desire him because we've died to the flesh and been risen with him. And we're not even in this world or in the flesh. We're seated at the right hand of the father. We just don't see it. What we feel is the flesh. And so these are two opposing realities at the same time. There's flesh and there's spirit. And these are not both me. Like we said, I'm not, I'm not a mixed bag of sin and righteousness or, you know, and, and good and evil. I'm not a mixed bag, at least Maybe I was at one point. Maybe I wasn't totally evil before, but I was, maybe I was, but maybe I was a, just a mixed bag. Now I'm not. 
I feel all sorts of temptations all the time. But the more that I can see myself according to who I truly am in Him and who He is in me, you know, the more that I can, the Spirit, what He'll do is He'll actually, like a sword, He'll separate the flesh and the Spirit so that we're able to see clearly that we are not our flesh. Mm. And these things are, are, they don't define us. They're, they're not even coming from us. The, the temptations that we experience, they do not originate within my dirty, rotten, or even mixed bag sort of heart. They do not originate there. They originate with the enemy, mm-hmm. with the world, with seeds that have been put in my flesh. They originate outside of me, and they are, they are not a cancer within me. You know what I mean? (laughs) The idea that there's this thing called sin that is actually inside of you. Sin was never inside of us. There was never a a thing called sin inside of us. Sin is lawlessness. It's like the lack of something, right? It's like the absence of light. That Like darkness isn't a thing. It's the absence of light. Coldness is yep. the absence of warmth. Right. Sin is the absence of righteousness. So when we right. were sold under sin and in the flesh, even then there was not a thing called sin in us. There was right. a thing called righteousness that was not in us. Right. Dude, that's a great point. So all this is happening. You're reading all this stuff, new lenses, yeah. life is changing. Your wife's getting a revelation. Um, how do we, uh, as we wrap this thing up, man, how, how, how is it, uh, what happened? Yeah. Um, COVID hit right around that time. Uh, prayed, Lord, what does ministry look like? I didn't, not even that COVID like affected my ministry. I had no clue what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, trying to, let God build his, his church and home church and all of that. Um, but it, after that, uh, I did a, like a brief fast too, um, to seek the Lord's will and what to do. And he, I felt like the best wisdom I received was, uh, was to write a book. And so I started writing a book in, I think it was April of 2020 about these things that he was revealing to me. And it was crazy because I would encounter a question, you know, I wouldn't know something and I'd be like, God, I have to understand this in order to, to write, like, because this is a question that I have. And, and he would just, he was so faithful to give me the understanding that I needed as I literally, as I was writing the book. And it's crazy because if I wrote it now, I'd write a lot of things differently. I've grown a lot in, in my understanding even since then. But I was just, it was just all in faith, you know, and, um, and it was, it was a cool, cool season there, um, to be writing those things with the Lord and, and to be receiving that, that understanding. And so that book was done by August, really. It only took probably four or five months to write. Um, got that self-published, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, we started a podcast and same title, No Longer I, and have not done a bunch of episodes, but that that's been a kind of a cool thing. And um, but you know, it in terms of like, oh, I will say too, I'm now last summer, 2021, I went back into the secular workforce. I continue to do um ministry just as before, continue um leading this house church and 
learning all the same things and more. And, and, uh, but yeah, I just felt like in faith, the Lord told me to go back into logistics. And so I'm working for the same company that I was right out of college, actually. Um, and it's, it's just been amazing what the Lord has continued to teach me. Um, not just me, not just me at all, our whole fellowship. It's just, um, continual testament to, as we keep our eyes on the Lord and trust that he will build his church. He does. And, um, constantly being humbled more and more. I would say as regards the gospel, as regards, you know, that season of just amazing transformation, probably a full year in 2020 of just like, boom, on fire, this is crazy. Um, and then a little bit of like a, what do you call it? A lull or like a settling down or like a something where it almost, what was once crazy almost becomes normal. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? Oh, dude. A young lady who in the middle of 2019 started hearing about this stuff from us and she describes that, that whole situation and how we were just nuts. And we were just like trying to walk people through confession and like really wanting them to, this to see because our lives had like my buddy's marriage has been restored. My marriage had been restored. Like miracles. We're seeing people receive the Holy Spirit, healing, all this crazy stuff. And so we're going nuts on fire. And in, in many ways, like if you listen to the episode, there's some stuff that like we said that was just wrong that we did that was like we were not stewarding it right and we can look back at it and we'd be like man that's kind of why were we doing that but then man we can't forget how our lives were just transformed man and so now is it the same feeling for me like that it was in 2019 where we're just like yeah you know like we're going hard after people yes and no it's much more stewardship, much more listening to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, are we still walking people through confession and see, like showing them the lies, walking them through? I mean, I do four Bible studies a week, man. Like, I'm I'm about it. I do these. Po- I record a couple podcasts every week. I'm about it. But it's what does Paul say? Like, if I've got it together, it's for you guys. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. like. Yeah, yeah, like we're we're stewarding this thing a little bit. Yeah. Different. That's a yeah, that's a great explanation I think of what what many of us have experienced great intensity at the beginning. And but also recognizing wow, we in many ways we were just shoving truth down people's throats <laughs> like Heck yeah, It dude. was very sincere. 100. And it was very much in in love uh just not in wisdom all the time if that makes sense the lord i i have no convictions in terms of i don't believe it was sinful or whatever you know but it was uh somewhat childish i think at times at times and i think what he continues to teach me is that okay uh this is something i've been thinking about but it's much easier to like to speak truth into someone's life in a moment than it is to establish them in the truth over time. Hmm. And I really feel called at this point in my life to, to learn how to be a shepherd of the very few people that the Lord has put um, in my care. And even going back to like, I even 
say that shepherd role. It's just like, I think of myself as a brother and as a servant to these few people in my city, in my house church and another. Um, and it's just, and if some of that role of service involves shepherding, then, then so be it. And I believe it does, but it is a journey and a very difficult thing naturally because it's not natural at all to uh to establish not just one person but a body of people in the truth and it takes patience and perseverance and endurance and and the gifts from all people in our body every every member you know as paul says being equipped so that it's functioning properly and building itself up in love and all that is to say that in my own life and in all of our lives it's like the lord gives us glimpses of truth and understanding in the gospel and the truth sets you free and it's amazing but then and some of us have more of that than others and some less than others and and but but often what he'll do is he'll give you revelation for a season you'll see it so clearly and then he'll actually like i think kind of pull the curtain over that again i think he'll actually like make what was once clear a little bit more cloudy. Why? Because he's trying to teach us how to walk by faith. And I think a lot of the clarity came from a fact that he actually dialed down the flesh. He actually dialed down the circumstances of our life. He he actually subdued some of those things in order that we could see the sun behind the clouds, if that makes sense. But now he he wants us to learn how to walk, not needing the sun to shine through the clouds, but even when the clouds are there to be the light. Hmm. But all of these things remain to be true. And I thank God for the trials, the tests. I'm just learning to thank him for these things because what they cause me to do is, is to relentlessly remember and believe in what he says is true, even though I can't see or feel it in this moment. And in doing so, he's grounding me in faith, not in feelings. Mm. And therefore, he's grounding me in a truth that is unshakable and it's got nothing to do with what I see or what's going on in my life, whatever. And in that, right, that's when you begin to really bear the fruit of the Spirit. and. Um, that's the part of it that I believe is, is, is a process that I'm very much on and I'm not, it's, it's amazing because I'm like, I'm all about the finished work. And the only thing I set my mind on is the finished work and, you know, in Christ in me and I in Christ. And that's what I set my mind on, but I recognize there's still work to be done and not completed. It, it, and that is that what he's done in me in spirit would be manifest in the flesh that I would actually be bearing the fruit outwardly that others could taste of and see. Because I don't believe Jesus was just walking around like trying not to lust after women. <laughs> I, I don't think he, no. you know what I mean? Not interesting. That's the hope of the gospel is that we can bear this kind of fruit where like we are literally full of joy and peace and contentment and patience and whatever. And I've tasted enough of that to know that it's true. And I continue to taste more of it. Bro, we, uh, we did not grow up the same way and we're from different backgrounds and even I'm sure we could find a ton of stuff that even in the Bible that we don't see eye to eye on, but we do see eye to eye on this thing, man. And it's almost like, 
I forget the name of this theologian who said, I don't do things because of religious conviction, but there are certain truths that I would die over. Mm. And this is one of those. It's Jesus that he's freed us from sin, that we are in him and he is in us, uh, that the Romans 7 man, that does not have to be our story, that, yeah. that uh, Romans 8, we are in the Spirit. There's no condemnation for us. Like These things, like I'm, I'm willing to, to go all the way for them, and you have been such a huge blessing to me. I know you say that you would probably write things differently in your book now, and I recorded a podcast last year. That was my story. My story is different now, like, um, but it's all growing and it's all good. And I just, uh, I want to encourage you because you've encouraged me so much, man. And we are, we're brothers. We have the same spirit in us, uh, that rose Jesus from the dead. And so I just want to thank you for stewarding your heart in this truth, man. I'll let you say something if you want to close it out, but I also want to give you a chance to make sure people know how to get a hold of your book and 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 stuff like that. So I'll let you, you know, I usually ask a yeah. question at the end. Oh yeah, go ahead. Uh, and you it's and it's kind of like, what would you? Uh, I'll be brief because man, this is this one. This a one's long a long haul, man. And if you're ha- if you've hung out all the way with us, this one's a little mo- bit more theological, and I think that's good. Like, and that's hey. Honestly, dude, that's just who I am. So, like, I, you know. Oh man, don't apologize for it. I love it, bro. That's cool. But like, let's uh, let's go back to uh, to college, Jake, man, and and he's living crazy and he's doing his thing, and you get to chit chat with college, Jake. What would you go and tell college, Jake, bro? Oh man, why does it got to be college, Jake? I, I okay, no you go to go to third grade, Jake. <laughs> no, I was I was hoping for like ministry, Jake. Uh, okay. Let's do that. Let's go to Ministry Jake, who's up there preaching these sermons, but he's he doesn't have a lot of life to give because he's not experiencing it himself. Yeah, college Jake. Yeah, okay. that, college Jake. We just he just needs life. What would you tell yeah, Ministry for Jake? Sure. Just like repent, bro. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um. I think what I'd tell him. On the one hand, keep believing, like just keep believing, because my my fundamental um desire to just believe what the lord said the best i knew how and to not compromise you know what i read i think is is part of the way that god led me to to these things and i'm very grateful that he gave me that sort of um conviction even though i didn't know exactly what to believe in i the things that i did know i did you know and so That'd be one. Just keep believing and trusting that God's going to lead you into these things because he will. And then otherwise, the second thing would be, and this is more to the point, Jake, like you're not who you think you are. Mm. Um, And they, the people you're preaching to are not who you think they are because you think that they're unrepentant, hard-hearted, lazy, whatever Christians besides a few of them and you're trying to motivate their hearts. And the truth is that 
they actually do desire to obey me. They actually do desire to to be in their prayer closet in the secret place with the Lord and to get into scripture. And it's just that all your preaching and all the teaching they've ever heard and all the stuff they've ever read has only gave them one way of doing that, and that's to try harder. Work on your self-discipline. Get up earlier in the morning. Do whatever. And you're actually, you're, the, the way that you're doing it is keeping them enslaved. <laughs> you need to show them who they are. And in order to do that, you need to see who you are. So I think that's what I would tell him. Love it, bro. Yeah, man. Plug your book, man. Plug your podcast. I think I also found some music that you had on Spotify. Oh, yeah, bro. Yeah, <laughs> I was I vibing. Really, I don't really advertise that, but... Yeah, where can um, I find your book? Where can I find the podcast? Where can I find all this stuff? Yep. My book is on Amazon. It's called No Longer I. Subtitle, The Power of the Gospel, like you've never heard it before. Maybe you have heard it before. Don't take offense at that. It's just whatever. And... It's an audiobook, physical copy, or ebook. So any of those works well. And the podcast is also called No The No Longer I Podcast. And it's on like every podcasting platform that it can be on. It's a lot of the stuff in my book, but plus just like conversation and you know, going to some things in some greater depth. Um anyway, but yeah, go check it out. No longer I podcast. That's awesome. The the yeah. book on Audible, I think, was a little under five hours. This podcast is almost three hours, uh, so, uh, <laughs> but the book, dude, read the book, people. It's super, super awesome. Anything else, bro? No, man. Um, I just, I, well, yeah, one, one last thing, uh, just to you and the Love Reality folks and whatever, like, I don't know if you feel it, bro, but there's just kind of, there's like an affinity here, like there's just a kindred spirits i don't know how else to like it's called it's agreement like bro we call it the agreement agreement i like that it's almost like we're one in spirit or something and i'm really thankful because we came across love reality just randomly someone in our fellowship came across the website i reached out to eddie um eddie got me connected with you and i don't there's just it's really cool when you learn that God has been revealing the same truths to other people in similar timeframes all over the world. And even within my own city, it's crazy. Like that subtitle of my book, like the gospel, like you've never heard it before. Just this assumption that no one else knows this. I, I knew that wasn't true, but I just, I had never met anybody. I just, the general assumption is 99% of the church doesn't get this. And but then you start to meet more and more people who do, and God has been plowing this ground and, and sowing these seeds, and I just rejoice. And it's so cool to be connected with you guys. I really mean that, and I, I believe this, this fellowship is going to continue in some way, shape, or form. Um, and I'm really excited about that. And so I just I appreciate what you're doing, and just love you guys. I barely know you, but I love you. And so thank you. Thank you so much, man. Got me singing like glory, yeah. It got me telling my story. Know that your love is pouring on me, and love is pouring on me. River flowing in and never ends. More than life, more than me, more than just pretend. And you can feel the freedom from within. Free to fly, be the child that you always been, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. We would love it 
if you could share this so that people could hear uh, more of these stories. And a way you can do that is to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a high rating. If, if you give us less than a five star, I'm inclined to believe that you're not really rocking with us. So give us a five star rating and, and throw a comment in there. If you're going to talk about us on social media, go ahead and use the hashtag death to life. And let's get that hashtag going. This podcast is a production of Love Reality. And if you want more information about Love Reality, go ahead and check us out at lovereality.org. This show's produced by Tyler Morrison and Katie Prusha. The sound and editing is done by Addison Collingsworth and Eddie Cornejo. And then the Johnny on the spot is Annabelle Harper. And the artwork is done by Felix Gassman. Thank you so much for listening. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Thank you.